Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. I also do a lot of work for Palace Fan TV, so you can subscribe to that channel on YouTube. And also I work for a local community radio uh, football show, which is called Back of the Net, which is a recent project of mine. So by all means, if you're in the area, then uh, then catch us on Suzy Radio. Hi, I'm Sean Whetstone, better known as at West Ham Football on Twitter. Um, I'm a presenter on a West Ham podcast called More Than Just a Podcast, and I write for two West Ham uh, blogs called West Ham Till I Die and Clarence Hugh. Hello, I'm Steve Boniface. I'm an Arsenal fan and uh, the creator and curator, I guess, of findpubsport.com, where you can find live venues uh, to watch sport and drink at the same time. Hurrah! Great, thanks so much for joining us guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Obviously, Jay, a huge win for you. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's the same old, same old, isn't it? I mean, every time we face Liverpool at the moment, we seem to beat them. <laughs> we seem to have their number since we've returned to the Premier League uh, in our third season now. And um, yeah, a- another great win. I mean... We did it at home to Liverpool in uh, in a season where Liverpool were chasing the title, three 0 down, and uh, we came back to to draw three three. Last season we went to Gerard's uh, leaving party and we spoiled that on one three one. And yesterday was very very similar. We went to Anfield and one two one. And I have to say, I've been saying it for weeks that our our style of play suits playing away from home. I think in in that we have so so many quick players, uh, quick on the break. And it proved yesterday Liverpool just couldn't cope with the pace of our side. I'd have to say it wasn't a classic, but it was end-to-end football, I have to say, throughout the game. It was a good advert of Premier League football, even if the defending wasn't that great. Um, but Liverpool couldn't cope with Balassi, and, and Will Saha was exceptional. He's got a real good vein of form going on at the moment. Returning to the Will for Vold that we remember after his uh, after his stint at United, and Kabai again pulling the strings in the middle, um, Scott down at the back, just just immense. And it's funny because I had a I, I I went on a Liverpool podcast last week, and one of the guys on the Liverpool fans was saying he's not worried about the Palace defence at all. Damien Delaney can't get any iron on the squad. He's actually retired, but I won't you know, argue that one. And also, Scott Dan, if Liverpool were looking for a, a new centre-back, they would hope that they would get somebody better than Scott Dan. Kind of bit him on the backside <laughs> a little bit yesterday because, you know, Minilay, you could say he was at fault for for not parrying that ball, you know, round the post, but he put it straight back at Dan. Dan being a Merseyside man himself, um, gleefully put the header in the back of the net. And, uh, and 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 it was yeah second goal two one and I don't think they had another chance after that Liverpool couldn't you know it kind of stunned them in a way they came back after you know Blassi scored a, a pretty good goal lucky how the ball got across to him in the first place but he you know worked the space well finished really well into the you know into the back of the net um, and he's not particularly known for his goal scoring and playing him up front kind of probably um, you know opposition players probably not sure why we're playing a player of his kind up front but his pace and unpredictability just plays into our hands in a way and uh, the support he gets as well from the quick players is, is brilliant so yeah exceptionally happy with the result you know it's kind of waiting for a four o'clock kickoff on a Sunday uh, which it wasn't even a live game on TV which is rather peculiar but very happy you know we've kind of yeah we had a bit of a bad spell we lost to West Ham lost to Leicester and then we lost to the City in the cup and you kind of think how are we going to react to playing teams like United and Liverpool well, we come away with four points peculiar the Premier League isn't it sometimes but yeah very happy 
Yeah, and because of injuries, we've seen your back four change a lot throughout the season, despite picking up a few clean sheets of late. What mm. is your best back four? Uh, well, for me, I mean, I have to say on the podcast that Martin Kelly got, has had a lot of stick in the media today for not celebrating the two Palace goals. Now, this is a guy who came through the academy at Liverpool, left Liverpool because, you know, if he, if he was wanted at Liverpool, he would have stayed. Um uh, and he's played more games for Palace, which is what was argued in one of the daily papers today. But, you know, players do this. You know, he's got a lot of respect for Liverpool. I don't know any qualms about him not celebrating those two goals. He celebrates any other game that goals are scored anyway. He didn't score personally. Um, but it seems to be a big thing about him not celebrating for some reason. So, But for me, in answer to your question, the back four is, the strongest back four is the one that played yesterday, Soiree. Brilliant left back. He's really come, you know, he's re- really come to form really quick down the wing, supports the winger in front of him. And he's, uh, you know, he's acclimatised well to Premier League. Delaney and Dan centre backs. I think Delaney just edges Hangerland. Um, and um, our right back is Joel Ward, who was on the bench yesterday, coming back from injury. He had a knock in training during the week, so that's why he wasn't risked. Uh, starting the game but Kelly you know Kelly was a good deputy and we've kind of missed those two first choice fullbacks in recent weeks uh, really and the other thing is we've missed a striker as it start as it showed yesterday we didn't start with a striker Wickham was back on the bench we can't trust that there doesn't seem to be any trust with Bamford starting the game at the moment he's had a couple of starts in the league cup didn't fill us with any confidence whatsoever particularly against one of the lower league sides who played we won 4-1 he couldn't get a shot on target in that game so he does make the bench most weeks he came on another cameo of 20 minutes against Leicester which he didn't do too badly but I don't it's very peculiar I, I kind of wonder whether he's going to go back to Chelsea in January but it's great to see Wickham back Wickham came on in the second half with about 25 minutes to go and even then he showed a bit of a difference because that formation we play is made for him to be the lone striker up front. So hopefully he can stay fit. Got two weeks now, you know, until the next game, uh, you know, because the international break. So hopefully that will do him good. All right, Sean, obviously result-wise, I don't think you'd be too upset about a 1-1 draw with Everton. But obviously the big story right now is the Payet injury. Yeah, well, uh, before that, you know, we drew against Lukaku. I won't say we drew against Everton, although Everton are a bit <laughs> of a bonus. Copy stuff. goal from last week, though, for, for Lukaku. Uh, Lukaku always scores against us. Um, always. Um, so it wasn't a surprise. In fact, I could almost say it was odds on. We just hoped we were going to score more goals on them. So, you know, I would have taken a draw beforehand, if I'm honest with you. A uh, bit of a bogey team for us. Again, it was another team that was going to de- uh, another game that was going to define our season, and maybe it did define our season in the wrong way. Uh, first, a tremendous goal from Manuel Lanzini, our on loan Argentinian uh, striker, playmaker, whatever winger, whatever you want to call him, uh, who who we hope to buy at the end of the season for about eight million pound. Um, but the the big story was um, obviously losing uh, Dimitri Payet who um, has obviously ruined a lot of fantasy league people's uh, uh, <laughs> teams uh, for, for after the international break as well. Um, you know, it's going to be immense. And, and the, the story is, uh, you know, he was pictured leaving the bowling ground with a, a protective boot on and crutches. Uh, he he went, had a scan on Sunday um, and he, he saw a specialist today. Uh, we're going to release it later on our blog on Clarence Hugh uh, that he faces an operation on his ankle ligaments and, and he's out for three months. Um, and I'm sure you all agree, it should have been a red card. 
McCarthy should have gone. You know, that was, that was, I don't know if you saw the replay, but it was a, it was a bit dirty. He went for the player, not for the ball. And this is where I think the FA needs a re retrospective uh, video evidence to uh, ban him for life. Never play again. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> for life is a bit long. Uh, Steve, we were actually talking a little bit before the pod about this. And what was your suggestion? My suggestion was that if you go in for a challenge where you're going for the person, or even if you're not going for the person, if you put that person out with a bad challenge, I think the person should be banned for the length of time it takes them to come back into their team. So McCarthy shouldn't play until Pyatt plays again. I love it. I think this is a great plan. Uh, maybe and, there, there are some caveats. And just, just to follow up, <laughs> just to make it worse, obviously the person that came on to replace Payet was Enna Valencia, who's, mm. who's been out for quite a while as well. Um, Ecuadorian striker. Uh, and he went off on a stretcher, uh, left of the bowling ground on crutches as well. We won't hear from his scan to the end of the week, but it looks like early reports are he's probably got another uh, uh, equal layoff, maybe somewhere between eight and 12 weeks as well. So uh, the injury curse has set into West Ham. The only difference maybe this year from last year and years before under... Big Sam, we have the depth and the breadth for the squad. So in comes Arate, in comes Lanzini, in comes Alex Song, in comes obviously move around um, uh, uh, Mo Victor Moses. We've got Antonio from Nottingham Forest yet to play yet. Um, so we've got a number of options. Um, but all I'll say is we're, we're, we're 19 points from safety. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and uh, I saw like two to three months is what we're thinking. Three months minimum. Mm, wow, that is obviously and a blow. It it is, and, and you know, you know, we as West Ham fans, we have horrible memories of obviously an ankle injury on um, Dean Ashton. And the thing I'll say is, you know, sometimes, and and I'm I'm not putting it in the same category, but they're never really the same player when they come back from a really nasty injury, are they? Um, same thing happened to Sandro. I think it was against Manchester United. You remember that like six-month period where he was like the best defensive midfielder in the league, and now he's down in QPR, struggling in the championship. So, yeah. and and make it worse, we've lost our Champions League place. We're now down in sixth place, and and Tottenham have gone apart above us on goal difference. Yeah. So we played them in two weeks late, uh, time at White Hart Lane, and of course yeah. beat them again. Right. Uh, of which is you the can, tradition. You can win the treble again. <laughs> yeah. Three times in a season. Get a T-shirt, DVD. Yep, standard, standard package. All right. So well, not so happy, Hammer, but sixth place. You know, twenty-one points. I'll take it for now. In 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 November. Yep, and from one London club to another, Steve, one-one draw with Tottenham in the North London derby. We'll get to my views in a second, but what was your view from this match? Well, it was the end of what's been quite a weird. Um, period of time to be an Arsenal fan because obviously before the Swansea game last week we lost uh, Theo Walcott and Oxlade-Chamberlain in the loss to Sheffield Wednesday in the pointless competition that we don't like to talk about once we're out of it um, but the problem is that meant that anybody who is a considered a first team player um, on the right hand side so everyone from Ramsey to Oxlade-Chamberlain to Theo Walcott Let's not forget, Wilshire's played there before. 
and Welbeck. All five of those potential first-team players are out. Um, Joel Campbell came in, got his goal against um, Swansea, which was great. He had a really good performance there, but then he was a bit shown up in the game against Bayern Munich. And he played again against uh, your boys uh, on Sunday. Mm. Um, so it, really, it's been kind of a case of the last three games, Arsenal have been going from game to game and trying to get to this game and damage limitation before the um, international break. So to have taken one win, one loss where we can afford it, really, because I don't, I, to be honest, if we're not, Arsenal aren't going to win the Champions League this year. So if Arsenal go out of the group stage of the Champions League, I'm not going to be crying into my cornflakes over it, um, because I would much rather have the week-to-week rest and give it a real go in the Premier League. Um, the result, it was a, it was a weird game. It, it was sort of a fair result in a way. Because although Spurs, Arsenal started well and then they, they ended well, but the whole middle chunk was dominated by Spurs. If you tot up the statistics and kind of the better chances of the game, overall they went to Arsenal. Um, Spurs made, made a decent number. It was a good game. Um, Spurs made a decent number of chances. Arsenal made a decent number of chances. Both teams could have won it. Both teams could have lost it. So I suppose in a way a draw... Um, is a relatively uh, a good result for both. And now that we're at the international break, hopefully, I don't know about Walcott coming back, I think he's got a bit longer, but hopefully when we come back, we'll have a, a stronger team to come back from the international break with. Um, and thank goodness for uh, super striker Kieran Gibbs, uh, lethal with his miskick left foot. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was, it was a good result in the end. Keeps us uh, level with, on points with Manchester City. Uh, which, if you'd said going into the, the uh, international break that we'd be level on points with Man City, having had the injuries that we've had down the right-hand side of our team, not forgetting, of course, that Hector Bellerin was injured as well and out. Um, so we played Mate Debushi. He actually had quite a good game. He's playing himself back into some form after what have been some questionable uh, performances this season. Um, yeah, I think it was it was a good result for Arsenal. Uh, obviously, would always like to win the London derby, particularly at home, but. But just to stay level on points with Man City at this point, that's that's fine. It keeps us in the hunt. Um, and we've got through this little blip, which hopefully will be the worst of our injuries for the season. Yeah, a uh, fun set on Gibbs and Kane being the scorer. Is, uh, it's the first time that the North London Derby had only English scorers since 1989. So <laughs> there is a bit of a stat for you. I would largely agree with most of what you said. I think... A lot of Tottenham fans were freaking out and clamoring that we should have won the match. And yeah, we were the better team for an hour. But the problem with football is the matches take longer than that. Um, Absolutely would agree with what you said, especially around the 60th, 65th minute. Play entirely switched to you, had many of the better chances. Um, Mm-hmm. And, and Mostly from um, set pieces, actually. And yeah, Giroud, Giroud had four or five that he really should have put in. Uh, probably, well, three or four that definitely a couple that were a little shadier. Um, I'm sure he'll be beating himself up as uh, Hugo probably will for that being the goal that he conceded. I think mm. we would both agree that was not the best chance you had, uh, and you wouldn't think that beating Hugo at the near post with a ball that hits him in the knee is going to be how you score. Uh, just took a weird bounce off of him and into his own net. 
like I said, Giroud had better chances than that. So not saying that a goal wasn't deserved. That was just a strange one, I think, to have happened. But and you have to credit Otzel because it was an amazing pass. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Right over Kyle Walker's head. I think that was probably part of it, as I doubt many people thought that was going to get through, and it, it was a pinpoint cross. Um, Do you mind if I just just jump in? You yeah. mentioned Ozil there. We'll probably sort of, I'll, I'll go on to it a little bit later with player watch. But um, man of the match was Della Ali. I thought, you know, on the face of it, he had a very good performance. Yeah. But I heard some stats today um, that Ozil's stats in terms of chances created was somewhere seven, somewhere around seven or eight, and Della, Della Ali was one. Pass mm-hmm. completion was 82% for Ozil, and Della Ali was about 67% or something like that. So it just goes to show how the perception of a game and a player can can change yeah, depending on how well fair, the team those, do. Those aren't the strengths of Della Ali, who naturally no, is further back yeah. in the formation and is more of an incisive player than a passing one. I, oh, I yeah, agree that did have a very, very good match and has done so largely for the yeah. last four or five weeks. Yeah. And it does kind of make you question, where are all those people that were slating him for years? Oh, he's been crap <laughs> since he moved to Real Madrid, as he currently leads the Premier League in both assists and chances created. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and he's not a very kind of loud player, if that makes sense. Like, he's not going to announce his presence um, off the pitch. But, yeah, quietly having an incredible season, which is surprising for a player of that name recognition at a club the size of Arsenal. But yeah, he's he's been absolutely terrific. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of fans will walk away from this one on the Tottenham side. A little disappointed with the result, but very proud of the effort. Uh, going into the match, everybody was freaking out about how Posh didn't rotate. And I addressed this on Thursday. We didn't have the chance to rotate because of injuries and suspensions. So I would love it if that rhetoric would die down. Heard it on a couple of major outlets. Oh, well, you know, if he had you know, changed players on Thursday, they would have played the full match. No, no, no. It's not what happened at all. We rested who we could, and then they played. And I think Kyle Walker and Danny Rose both did very well uh, for that hour to 70-minute period. Um, Kyle Walker did get skinned a couple of times, but he was at large parts of that game facing both Utzel and Sanchez. So not going to complain about that too much. Um, Seven players in all played in three matches in six days for us, which is obviously more than you would want, but we got seven points out of those matches. And now they get to have a nice two-week break for their efforts. I kind of. Actually, not really at all now that I think about it. Because I think all of them are internationals. All right, now they get two weeks to spend with their friends at home? Anyway, you get the point. They played a lot. (laughs) And uh, now they don't have to play for us over this period. So uh, hopefully they can get the rest they need. But we're a very young squad. And... I know some people are a little frustrated with modern football. Oh, you can't play three matches. But then when you do do it, then you come up with excuses like a certain big German at a certain London club. But that's fine. Maybe some people are tired or hurt. Whatever. (laughs) That's going to be my dig. Um, But anyway, uh, Harry Kane obviously scored, and it was an excellent finish from him. uh, And an excellent ball in from Danny Rose. I don't know how many people noticed, but Kane's first touch was the strike. He, he didn't even need to, to take it in control first, so uh, both credit to Danny Rose and Kane for the finish. Uh, his sixth goal of the season and looks to have refound his scoring touch. Uh, and his, after his horrible start when he was one season wonder and the worst striker in the Premier League, now sits tied for third most goals in the league, so uh, that can die down also. Uh, and in case anybody forgets how quickly Kane has ascended, uh, through the ranks of kind of the, well, I'm not going to say elite. I hate that word so much. But 
Harry Kane has grown so quickly that this was his first match at the Emirates. He wasn't even in the side last year. In fact, last season at this point, he had just had one goal and he hadn't made his first Premier League start yet. So I know a lot of people got on him early this season for not being the player he was last season. But to this point in the season, he wasn't even a player for us last season. So let's give him a break. Six goals, uh, obviously doing very well. I think it's four and five. Four and four in all competitions, if memory serves. So, obviously, he's been performing quite well. Uh, I still think he probably scores somewhere in the teens, more than in the 20s. Like, probably 15 to 18, somewhere in there, if I had to guess. But um, just having him back and, and confident, again, is obviously a great thing for us. You mentioned Della Ali, one man of the match in his first ever North London Derby at 19 years old. What am I doing with my life? Certainly not that. Uh, and uh, on a bit of a sad note, uh, I would like to bring people's memory back to the North London Derby that happened in the Capital One Cup. And people were tweeting at me about how angry I should be that Arsenal fans were tearing down some of the facade and some of the uh, boards at White Hart Lane. All Arsenal fans are assholes, but uh, we all hate them. And I pointed out on this show that it's a subset of humans. There are some jerks. There are some nice people. That's just how it breaks down. And I got flack from Tottenham fans for not being harsh enough. And now we find ourselves in the opposite position. I'm sure some people saw the photos floating around. Tottenham fans trashed the away bathroom. And I would like to once again call upon that spirit of there are jerks and good people in every crowd. And so am I, am I pleased that that happened? Absolutely not. But is it every Tottenham's, Tottenham fan's fault? Obviously not. Anyway, that's, that's my take on it. And uh, hopefully I get less hate mail this time. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. All right, and now we're going to go on to the topic, which, because there aren't any big scandalous news stories that involve David Moyes coming back to the Premier League, we are going to talk about actual tactics and what formations our teams are running and who that f formation benefits, if anybody suffers from it, and are the fans happy with the way the manager is running the team at the moment, we will start with Jay talking about Crystal Palace. I know you mentioned earlier, uh, without a striker, you kind of had to rig some stuff to, to really get an 11 onto the pitch. Uh, how have you been playing right now, and will it continue to be that way once Wickham comes back? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we, we've tried to play the same formation throughout, even though we haven't really had the striking options. I mean, Bamford hasn't really worked for us so far. Not that he's had the opportunity, but I don't think he's particularly impressing either in cup games that he's had an opportunity or uh, obviously on a training pitch. If he was if he was doing it on a training pitch, then Pardew would probably have no hesitation to, to give him a go. I think even Fraser Campbell's ahead of him uh, lately, which probably says, says a fair bit with where Bamford is at the club at the moment. Wickham is the main guy. We spent a lot of money on, on him in the summer. He's played four games for us so far, came on a sub yesterday. Um, unfortunately, he he got an injury just after we sold Glenn Murray to, to Bournemouth. And, you know, the fact was a lot of fans say, why do we send Glenn Murray? Glenn Murray wanted to go at his age and we sold him to Bournemouth for that money. He was going to get more opportunities at Bournemouth because if Gale and Wickham are fit, Murray is probably the third choice at Palace, but we've continued to play that one up front formation. And, and, and Gale particularly struggled with that against West Ham. Um, he, he seemed a bit lost that day for some reason. He seemed to struggle uh, with what his positioning really was. And he's not a lone striker. Personally, I think Dwight Gale is a better player when he's playing with a striker next to him, so a bigger striker. So, you know, perhaps 10 years ago, if, if he'd have been around, he would be whipping the top division, scoring goals, left, right and centre. Um, he's just probably in the wrong era, if that sounds, if that makes kind of sense, because not many teams play two up front these days. I mean, back in back in the days when we had Wright and Bright playing up front, you know, in, in the Ian Wright position, he would have he would have scored goals like Ian Wright did. Um, but to be fair, he came back after his suspension, um, after being sent off and played his best game in the lone striker role against United. Really did well. He's obviously worked on, um, you know, uh, his heading ability and, and, and getting off the ground. I mean, he even beat, beat Fellaini to a header in that game uh, a couple of times, which says an awful lot uh, when a guy's towering above him and he still beats him to a header. Um, and obviously, he's got his hair on top of his head as well, Fellaini, to get <laughs> to get past. But, um, you know, that's said a lot for, he, he for, you know, for being sent off and then working hard um, to get back in the side. Admittedly, we have players injured, but for me, Wickham is the main man. He will excel in this formation, and he did show that before he got injured. Chelsea away, he was a focal point. And, you know, a lot of players said, you know, the players that were, you know, skillful players that ran the wings, played well, particularly Blassie and Sacco who scored in that game uh, against Chelsea. They were getting applauded. It's above Wickham. But Wickham just did a perfect job up front. He made he he held the ball up. He created the space. And that's what we've missed. Somebody to hold the ball up. So while I say, you know, we lost a couple of games and then we got results against me, United and Liverpool, we've done this without that main man up front so it'd be interesting to see um, how we do when he comes back I mean we've got a couple of well I say favourable fixtures I mean on paper really you know some of the games uh, we've kind of lost in the past have been ones you know exactly that teams we should perhaps be beating so you know we face uh, Sunderland at home and Newcastle home in our next two games so that'll be very telling as to hopefully Wickham can start either both or one of those and and really see what he can do for us in that position but we're continuing to play that role I mean yesterday we continued to play it as well I think Sacco was pushed a little bit further up front kind of supporting Balassi a bit more because Balassi is so quick when he gets the ball if he gets the ball and runs a bit unlike somebody like Wickham who's not particularly quick he will hold up the ball if Balassi gets it there's not much chance of the rest of the team probably catching up with him when he's that lone striker. So um, what, we've continued to play it. We've continued to put players in that role. 
we, we've we've done relatively well. We've been unlucky to lose a couple of games, I think. I think particularly against West Ham, the sending off perhaps killed the game, really. I mean, it was a great first half up until that point. Both teams attacking each other. West Ham probably had a little bit of the edge, but it's great to see, you know, the attacking side of West Ham against us as well. Um, and the second half was just, you know, it, it kind of sported the game in a way. Um through no, you know, through Gal's own fault, two silly tackles. But you know, we we continue to play a similar formation. There are small adjustments during the game. So when those three three fast players, Punch and Blessing Zaha, kind of behind that front man, they can push forward and, and at the same time they can get back as well. So it's a formation that really works for the players we have uh, at the club at the moment. So it's just unfortunate we've had the injuries we had. Yeah, Sean, what have West Ham been running, and will that be affected now by the absence of Payet? Well, uh, you know, if Bilic likes to play, I mean, he likes to play a, a passing type of football. And we saw that in Turkey and, and, and in Russia before. Um, and I dare I say it's an old cliche, but, you know, we've got the old West Ham way back. Um, even though Sam Allardyce doesn't know what it was and, and um, Sir Alex Ferguson doesn't know what it is. But I think most people do. And, and it's a joy to watch. You know, it, last season, it was a bit of a chore to watch West Ham. And and I enjoy most games, although I didn't enjoy the one against Everton. Um, I don't know, we lost a bit of creativity. But, you know, sometimes people stop us playing the game we want to play. And we've been really successful in counter-attacking uh, football. Even at home, by the way, not just away from home. But but Belich likes to play the uh, 4-2-3-1 system. So you've obviously got your two centre but You've got four at the back, two centre-backs. Our main two centre-backs are Winston Reid. Uh, and uh, Obana. Obviously, Obana's injured at the moment, so we've got James Tompkins in. We've also got um, Ginge, James Collins as, as cover as well, so we've got four good centre-backs. And actually, James Tolin, uh, Tompkins has been filling in as a right-back for Carl Jenkinson as well. Then you've got your, your two full-backs, Carl Jenkinson from Arsenal, uh, Aaron Cresswell, formerly from Ipswich, they are really good at whipping down. He wants attacking fullbacks that can whip down and, and, and cross that ball in. And, and you're probably aware Jenkinson's got two goals in, in recent four games. Uh, Cresswell's got a period a, um, where one Jenkinson had more goals than Kane. And I saw some tweets floating <laughs> yeah, around about that. that. <laughs> so uh, uh, just in front of the, the, the um, back four, he likes, you know, a couple of defensive midfielders. Coyote has, has been a brilliant player. I mean, he's scored four goals and was scoring goals for a de- defensive midfielder, not bad. And, of course, the skipper, local lad, uh, Mark Noble as well. Um, he then likes three in, in, uh, in front of those, you know, around, and I will say, a playmaker, Dimitri Payet, and, uh, and Lanzini, what a find, and, and Victor Moses on, on loan. Uh, so, so between those three, just uh, attacking midfield, mixing it up, usually with one up front. Now, our preferred choice is Sacco. Obviously, Sacco's injured at the moment, uh, so Carroll's got to play that role. I must say, Carroll is not the, the ideal striker, really, and he didn't have a great game um, against Everton, really. I think there's, there's a danger, because he's a big man, you know, there's this danger to knock it up to him and, and, and have a little bit of long ball where with, with Sacco up front, we, we play a lot more fluid and pass the ball around and that was maybe some of the frustration on Saturday. Uh, but with a completely fit team, um, you know, it all works. Um, but 
you know, we, we're going to have to mix it up now. Dimitri Payet's um, injured for three months and then Valencia's injured. So, um, as I said earlier, we've got we've got various options. Zarati can can slot right in there, uh, in in those those front three behind the striker. Uh, we, we've also got the kid um, Antonio as well from from Nottingham Forest. Yeah, what is the deal uh, with him? Everybody seemed kind of excited about it on deadline day, and then haven't heard much since. Um, well, he's one for the future. I mean, there's been a little bit of um, word you know, in, in the papers saying that uh, Derby will come back in for him. But, you know, we paid £7 million for him for the future, but we then, we had already bought Victor Moses, which plays a very similar role. So if Victor Moses is fit, then Victor Moses is going to get ahead of him. But Victor Moses will go at the end of the season back to Chelsea. So he's got to be patient. He's got to wait his chance. But no, we're not going to sell him for a knockdown price to Derby. Um, he's he's our future, and you know he needs to be patient, and and he get his choice, chances, and you know I I like it. Slavin's not a one trick pony as well. He doesn't just play, you know the the four two three one. You know sometimes we play two up front. You know when Sacco's playing, uh, we've played him up front. Um, with with Enna Valencia and and even with Zarati. So. You know, as we said earlier, a lot of breadth in the squad. We're not, we're not scared to change the formation and tactics around, but I think we want to make it entertaining, and and move the ball around a lot. All right, thanks, Sean and Steve. How how are Arsenal mostly lining up, and do you foresee any changes while we continue to see Walcott knocks out? Um, I don't see any formational changes happening. I just see substitutes coming in. Like Joel Campbell, who, as I said earlier, has done not a bad job, actually. He was a bit out of his depth against Bayern Munich. But then again, the whole team looked out of their depth against Bayern Munich. Um, but it's that 4-2-3-1, I guess you could call it, or 4-5-1, that they drop into uh, during defensive mode. Um, usually involves Alexis out on the left wing uh, with Giroud or Walker up front. Obviously, he's injured. Um Oxley, Chamberlain or Ramsey on the right, both injured. Uh, Ozil, number 10. For a long time, he didn't sort of find his place at that number 10 and he wasn't being played there, which I think is why he wasn't playing his best football until he was put there. But now he, that he's made that his own. Sort of at the expense of Santi Cazorla, but he's done very well sitting back into that, that deeper lying role alongside Coquelin, with the exception of yesterday. Um, uh because he was ill before the kickoff, uh, suffering from dizziness, and then he was apparently being physically sick at half-time, which was why he was substituted. Um, and then the back four, obviously, we, with the way Arsene Wenger likes to play, he likes to have ball-playing uh, centre-backs. Um, at the moment, he seems to favour the pairing of the tall um, defender who reads the game well in Per Mertesacker and the speedy little one who usually manages to uh, to sort things out behind him, Koscielny, but yesterday made the mistake for the goal, obviously. Um, and two relatively speedy fullbacks in first choice being Bellerin and um, uh, left-back. Uh, you would have Nacho Monreal there at the moment. Um, but Gibson, Debussy are, are perfectly serviceable uh, replacements as and when the need arises. So because so of the depth we have in each position, I think that, that four two three one is is there to stay. Um, 
the only trouble we have with it when everybody is fit um, is that Aaron Ramsey doesn't have a place in the middle of the pitch and that's where he really likes to play. Um, so when he's put out on the right-hand side, he is slightly less effective. But I don't know who you would replace. He's he's He doesn't work as well with Coquelin in the middle as Cthulhu did, cause, does, because we've tried that and it didn't work so well in one or two of the dodgier games earlier in the season. Um, we He can't play in the number 10 role because Ozil is on fire at the moment. So if he's going to get in the team, and Wenger wants him in the team because he's he's a dynamic player and he creates chances and makes things happen. He has to go out on that right side. So sometimes he drifts inside. Um, and uh, and that does mean that we lack width on the right-hand side. Likewise, sometimes on the left-hand side, because um, Sanchez cuts in. And I think, here's an interesting stat for you, actually. Well, I think it's interesting. Um, I heard on the Arscast today, the Arsenal podcast I listen to, which is usually good value for Arsenal fans, um, that they, since Giroud's come in for Walcott, Alexis Sanchez hasn't had a shot on target. Um, Which just goes to show that when Walcott and Sanchez are playing together, they sort of dovetail, and sometimes Walcott will head out wide, Sanchez heads into the middle, um, and then they complement each other. But with Giroud, he's a much more on the last central defender sort of player, and Sanchez is forced to stay out wide, and he's not as effective when he's out wide, um, which might be why we see a lot more of Theo Walcott these days, because, you know, both Giroud and Walcott have been scoring goals. They've been in good form, in spite of what everybody says about them for some strange reason. Um, but it just seems to work better in the in the side with, uh, with Walcott, um, because they can do that dovetailing. And like I say, it does... It, 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 Ramsey suffers the most. Some people say that Cthulhu doesn't play as well um, as he could if he was in the number 10 role. But the thing is, I don't I don't see him displacing uh, Ozil there. And he's a good player, actually, to have as a pivot in that deep-lying midfield because you've got the enforcer there in, in Coquelin, who's still playing really well, showing that he wasn't just a flash in the pan last season. Um, but then when in, the, in transition, there you go, how's that for a uh, trendy word? Uh, when the when the game's in transition at the moment, Cthulhu seems to be there to to move the ball out of defence and into attack, and he's very good at picking that sort of pass. Um, that is when he's not, you know, throwing up in the changing room. Um, so particularly against, and and it was funny actually against sides like Spurs, who you know are going to press high. I think that's probably why Wenger played him in spite of him not feeling a hundred percent because he knew that Spurs were going to press high, and, and a player like Santa Cathola, who can work the ball well in small spaces, um, is a better person to have against high-pressure t- high teams, because they can find the space and, and create that outlet. Um, but obviously, it sort of backfired, um, because he, he wasn't at 100%, uh, and Arsenal saw an improvement after Flamini came on, uh, as it happened. Um so yeah, I think I think it's for Arsenal for the way that Arsene Wenger plays. Uh, he does like that formation. He used to really like the four-four-two. He used to say that was mathematically the best way for everybody to cover every uh, part of the pitch. But I think these days, if you play four-four-two against the majority of people who are playing the four-five-one with the two deep-lying midfielders, I think you get overrun in midfield. 
So I think his hand's been sort of forced and he's he's adapted with it. Yeah, a uh, lot of talk of 4-2-3-1 here has expected probably the most popular formation in the Premier League at the moment. Uh, it's only it's the only thing Pochettino knows how to do. No plan B, blah, 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 blah. But, and Seifu and I were actually talking about this a little bit earlier, uh, it might actually secretly be a 4-3-3 at the moment, which is interesting. Uh, it does seem that, you know, standard back four, nothing fancy there. But it really, in-game, feels like Dyer is the only one staying back, with Della Ali and Moussa Dembele both sitting in front of him and taking turns attacking with Eriksen on the left, Lamela on the right, and Kane, of course, at the tip of the spear, which is really interesting. And we didn't start the season this way, for sure. Um, when we, I think we started the season with Bentaleb next to Dyer, and then it was Mason next to Dyer, and now it's Ali next to Dyer or just in front of him. But obviously... Bentaleb is also more defensively minded. Mason is more of a passer, and so he tends to sit back a little bit more than charging forward. But we talked a little bit earlier about how incisive, not the passing, but the actual running of Della Ali can be through defenses. Um, and so, yeah, he, he likes to get forward a lot more, and it seems like he's doing that because he knows that Dyer is just sitting back and constantly doing the defensive duties, uh, much to fantasy players' chagrin. Uh, after Dyer had a few ventures forward in, in earlier in the season. Um, but it's pretty exciting, I think, uh, just from the perspective of like how I intro this. We've heard for so long that Pochettino doesn't have a plan B, and he's tactically inflexible. And it was really one of the few knocks on what many people consider to be one of the better young managers uh, in the league. Uh, so kind of seeing this, I think, is good. Now, I did have somebody that said, do you think that we're doing it on purpose? And I cannot attest to that. It's entirely possible we're telling Ali to stay back. And he's like, I'm 19 and I'm just going to run past everyone. And then it kind of works, so we're just fine with it. Uh, but regardless, it is nice to know that if we have a different set of players or a different formation that we can kind of get different results. Uh, I know a lot of the issues with Kapu back when he was at the club was when he was pairing with Dembele, neither of them knew when the other one was going to stay back. There was that lack of communication. And I think it talked on Thursday about uh, Dyer, who commented on uh, how well he and Ali get along both on and off the pitch. They don't have to communicate a lot on the pitch. They just kind of instinctively know where the other one's going to be. Ali coming out and talking about how Eric Dyer is a big brother figure and a veteran presence, which is hilarious when it's only his second year and he's 22 and it's Ali's first season at 19. Um, so didn't ever think I'd hear a 22-year-old called a veteran in the squad, but that's kind of the situation at Tottenham, obviously a very young side. Uh, so yes, benefits Della Ali greatly, allowing him to constantly get forward. The player, I think, is hampered by it a little bit. And no, this is not a slight on Debussy, who I think did have a decent game yesterday. But Eriksen is not as effective when he's over on the left. And we saw it again at the weekend. You know, whether it was more Debussy being very good or Eriksen being mediocre. You know, who knows. But he does not perform as well over there. It quote-unquote works. And obviously you see the results since we've started doing it. Still haven't lost since match week one. Uh, so obviously it's still quote-unquote working. But it only really works in match when Danny Rose is able to overlap and really allow Erickson to tuck in behind Kane and do his creative thing that he does so well. 
Is that sustainable? I don't think so. I, I think we do need to get Erickson back into the middle of the formation. But having three of the midfielders further back, Dembele, Ali, and Dyer, has allowed, I think, a little bit of this blossoming that we're seeing from Lamela, who previously would dribble into trouble because Erickson and his defender would be there, and now Lamela's bringing his defender into that area. Now he has to beat, like, three people, or at least create space amidst three people. Um, so I, I think it hurts Erickson a little bit, having to constantly shunt out wide to the left, but does help Lamela. So I guess it's a question of what's better, having a productive Lamela and a semi-productive Erickson, or a very productive Erickson and a not-so-productive Lamela. And I, I think, uh, like I said, as you're seeing from the results, this is working for now. What will we do going forward? Again, not sure. Hyungman Sun will have to play for Lamela against West Ham, because Lamela will miss through uh, yellow card accumulation on five. So that'll be interesting. Sun not as comfortable on the right. Maybe he'll have to play on the left. Play Erickson up the middle. Maybe Townsend will have repaired his relationship enough to start on the right by then. I think Chadley is still set to miss out. So that will be interesting. But yeah, so in case any of your friends are talking about how Pochettino is tactically rigid and can't play anything other than a 4-2-3-1, I posit that we are actually playing a 4-3-3 and are having great success in doing so. Again, yeah, unbeaten in 11, right? This was match week 12. That's, that's absolutely ridiculous. And it's not time for top four talk, by the way. I know everybody keeps doing it, but we need to stop saying we're going to make the top four after draws. That's just the situation. I think that's six on the season now. Are we doing well? Yes. Are Chelsea struggling? Yes. But one plus one does not always equal two, especially in this situation. Will we push for it? Yeah. Still don't think we get in this season, but only time will tell there. Alright, and now we are going to move on to Player Watch, where we're each going to quickly name a player who impressed us and a player that disappointed for us at the weekend. And if you're one of those people that doesn't like bad-mouthing your own players, you can always nominate somebody from the other team that impressed you at the weekend. We'll start with Jay. Yeah, it's, it's a tough call. Um, I'm not going to name anybody that didn't impress, because I don't think there's one player on the pitch. They all contributed to the result of Liverpool, and um not very keen on the outing players when they don't play very well, to be quite honest. It'd be really a big struggle to decide on one. For me, positive-wise, there's quite a few. Kabai um, was brilliant in the middle again. Um, Punchin had a better game. He's slowly getting into the season. He's been poor in recent weeks, but in the United game and this game, he he, he stepped up his game. But for me, the continued in improvement of Wilf Zaha is something that's uh, that we everybody's noticed at Palace. Uh, week in, week out, he had an exceptional game against United, um, against some hefty tackling, hefty challenging against his former team. Um, but against Liverpool, he had so much freedom, and every time he had the ball, he just wanted to run out of defence. And it was a it was a really good battle between him and uh, Nathaniel Klein, who's is a former Palace Academy uh, product actually. Um, so they they obviously knew each other. Um, you know, their paths have crossed before. Um, but it was great to see Wilf actually, uh, you know, in full flow. Again, Belasti was great up front on his own, but I think Wilf, for me, just edges it, in it, it, you know, once again. And I did say before the start of the season, it's going to be a big season for Wilf. And for me, he's just about edging Belasti uh, at this stage of the season. But it's really healthy competition between those those three, him, Belasti, and uh, and also Sacco. And it's it, yeah, it's really good. All right, and Sean, who impressed and disappointed, or impressed for the other side? Um, well, it's quite easy. I, I refuse to name that that lump of a player who begins with L who always scores <laughs> against us. But he is rather impressive, isn't he? 
Um, and he does like to score against us. Mm. Now, do you know what? There is only one player. I mentioned him early, and that is Manuel Lanzini. Yeah, uh, I could watch player. that goal inch perfect again and again and again and again. And he's been a complete surprise package. You know, here's a guy who was playing in the Middle East, for Christ's sake, in an unknown team. I don't even know what they're called. Uh, we paid them a £2 million loan fee. And he's just taken to the um, Premier League like a duck to water. Um, and, and, you know, he got into the team and and he hasn't been out again since. And he just gets better and better. So fair play to Manuel Lanzini. Long may he uh, continue in the Premier League and his form. Uh, and I hope we sign him at the end of the season. Now, this week, I am definitely going to uh, kick the boot into Andy Carroll. Um, he didn't look interested. He was lacklustre. It just didn't work. Um, I don't know if there's something going wrong in his head. But, you know, this is these are the kinds of games where Andy Carroll should be stepping up to the mark. You know, you've got uh, Sacco injured at the moment. He's our first-choice striker. Andy Carroll, we've invested, you know, £18 million in him. We pay him £85,000 basic a week, plus add-ons. You know, the guy owes us big time. And it's about time... Uh, he started earning it, and and I'm sorry, but Saturday's performance is just not good enough for someone who's supposed to be our star striker and our biggest earner in the club. Um, Andy, you need to pull your socks up, mate. All right, and Steve, who impressed and disappointed and was the best player for Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> um, best player for Tottenham? I don't know. I'm I'm a big Harry Kane fan, to be perfectly honest, mm. um, and he did take that goal uh, very well. Um, I wasn't one of the people who thought he was going to have a duff season and, and be a one-season wonder. He just was. I think I said on this podcast, I've said on this podcast before, he's too good and he knows where to stand. And it was just mm. a case of getting his confidence back, and he did. He did play well. And in spite of what I said earlier, I wasn't trying to say that Della Ali didn't play well. I was just saying it was interesting that the perspective was that Ali played well and the whole Arsenal team didn't play so well. Yeah. Um, which kind of feeds into most impressive player has to be Ozil um, for that ball and, and the number of chances he did make and the number of passes he did. A number of times, not only attacking, but he did, you know, there were times when Arsenal were under a lot of pressure and Ozil was often the player who could beat us a Tottenham player or uh, or make a pass to relieve that pressure albeit temporarily at times so uh, he did play very well um, in terms of disappointing I don't think I think the team dealt quite well as a team with the um, with the um, the pressure that was coming at them with the exception of the Koscielny mistake for the goal but one mistake doesn't make a bad game it, it led to a goal but he the rest of the time he played quite well um so I'm just going to say Cthulhu performed the worst, um, but that was because he was ill. So by by extension, you could say the most disappointing was Arsene Wenger for taking the risk with, a, with an ill player when he had Flamini and Arteta um, on the bench. Arteta, who in, incidentally came on um, and had a good effect in the middle of the pitch and put Flamini to right back when he came on for uh, Debussy. So that was, a, that was an interesting switch as well. Um, so yeah, disappointing was Cthulhu, but mainly because he was uh, being sick and uh, Ozil, um, again, keeping up his form. 
Yeah, and if I was hard-pressed to name an Arsenal player that did well, which I suppose I have to because I made you, it's going to sound a little redundant, but <laughs> obviously Utsil, I think, had a great match. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I guess I wasn't too tremendously impressed on the whole. I would agree, as I mentioned before, the Debussy Erickson thing kind of just neutralized <laughs> That you know, you watch you watch Debussy a lot. Was that a particularly good match for him, or do you think Ericsson was just kind of struggling? Um, well, but of late, that is uh, that was a, a very good performance from Debussy because mm. he's been he's he was so unlucky last year. First of all, to get his ankle injury early on, and he was out for three months, and then soon after he came back, he got shoved into an advertising hoarding for no reason by Arnautovic, and then he was out and lost his place to. Uh, to Bellerin, who has been incredible, to be fair. But I think because of that, he was suffering from something of a of a confidence um, dip. Mm. He's come back in and, and he's had a string of games, starting with Sheffield Wednesday, which he was awful in. But then since then, he's just he's he's kind of moulded himself back into a first team quality player. So he is a good player, and he was showing signs of that last season when he did play. Um, but obviously, Hector Bellerin just offers a bit more in terms of pace and um, hmm. creativity going forward because he's not... But Bellerin's not far behind Ozil in terms of ch- chances created at the club this season, so that shows how effective he is. Hmm. Yeah, um, for Tottenham, the player that impressed uh, that we haven't talked about, obviously Ali did well, Kane, as Steve mentioned. I think Eric Lamela uh, impressed somewhat in this match, but this is largely just a shout-out for this season. Um because I really haven't acknowledged enough how much he's improved this season. Uh, I'm sure Steve can attest he got a little feisty, uh, which he does when he gets frustrated, nipping at a lot of heels. Uh, what Petr Cech was thinking when he just dribbled it out of his own box, I will never know. Um, <laughs> but that was just a very strange moment. But, um, yeah, Lamela is finally kind of showing that ability that we saw when we paid, you know, 30 million pounds of the bail money. Um, his decision making continues to improve, uh, and his skill against was it Kashelny at the beginning of the match, the little ball roll that could have been a Kane goal. Uh, had Kane known that Lamela was going to pull that out of the bag, um, it, it was absolutely sublime. Uh, and I, I think he is really just kind of starting to find footing at the club. I think having Pochettino in there really helps him, obviously, fellow Argentine. And he's come out and said that, you know, he has dinner with Ozzy Ardiles at times and uh, really feels welcomed by him, which is obviously great to have a club legend like that willing to still help out with some of the youngsters, obviously uh, also from Argentina himself. Uh, So, yeah, we'll see uh, where he ends up. Uh, You know, obviously we were looking as a club to sell him in the summer and Pochettino said no. And I think that that had a, a cascade effect on his confidence where he knew that, you know, you, you, you have to prove yourself because the higher-ups want you gone. But the person you're playing for every day and training and every match is the one that demanded that you stay and canceled that move. Um, so that, that has to be good for him. And so hopefully we can see him grow and develop, hopefully stay at the club. Uh, whether or not he ever reaches that kind of world-beating status that a lot of people put on him, when he was so young and dubbed him the next Messi, when real Messi was only like 25. Uh, we'll, we'll just see long term, but he, he is finally kind of coming good, uh, especially after that hefty fee that we put on him. Like I said earlier, uh, disappointed probably in himself more than I am, Hugo Lloris, uh, 
you would expect him to stop that. Obviously, one of the most intelligent keepers in the game. Yes, Manuel Neuer is better, but he is a crazy person. Um, obviously, you would expect better. Usually, very safe hands. Was falling backwards. It was it was pretty strange. Uh, like I said, Eriksson not performing to his ability. I'll, I'll, I'll punt on this one. Say, Lloris and Eriksson were a little disappointing, but Otzel was obviously very impressive for Arsenal. And, and you know, you were talking about uh, positioning and movement for Kane. Giroud is excellent at positioning. It's just the finishes, man. Like, this, this, is, this has always been my problem with Giroud. And for those who watch American football, it's Joe Flacco to me. <laughs> like nine people just got that reference. <laughs> where, if yeah. you, where if you only look at the goals or the touchdowns for this analogy, you would be convinced you were looking at like a top five, top ten striker slash quarterback for this analogy. Like the goal against Bayern Munich was brilliant. And he missed two or three sitters in this one. And it's just, I, it's frustrating for me to watch, and I don't want him to score. I can only imagine what it's like for an Arsenal fan, watching those tremendous chances created. You mentioned, not Bellerin in this one, obviously, because of the injury, but Otzel putting in great opportunities for Drew to score. Alexis put in a couple. I think Nacho even put one in for him as well. And just, oh, it's he's a very frustrating player to watch. So, anyway. If it could finish instinctively in the way that Walcott does... Mm. It's, it, they're kind of opposites in that sense. If Giroud has time to think about it, he's got a very nice touch and he'll, he, you know, he does a good job of it. But those flash finishes tend to tend to miss, um, unless it's high. yeah. Whereas uh, Walcott's the other way around. If if Walcott runs onto a ball and just has to hit it, then the ball will more or less go on target. Hmm. Um, whereas uh, if you give him time to think about it, it's almost like he outthinks himself. Yeah. Well, anyway, good luck with that. Or not, I guess. Technically, I don't want you to figure it out, but uh, <laughs> you know how those things go. All right, well, we are out of time. So uh, if you guys have any projects you want to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for having me on the podcast again. Um, I'm Jay. I'm editor of the Eagles Beat dot com palace fan so you can catch us on twitter at the eagles beak i also do a lot of work for palace fan tv so you can catch them um, at palace fan tv and subscribe to the youtube channel and my latest project i'm working with a community radio station uh, a show called back of the net football show it's on Susie radio which is in the red hill rye gate and merstam area but you can get it online as well so uh, feel free to tune in every thursday at seven Hi, thanks for listening. I'm Sean Wetson. You can find me on Twitter at West Ham Football. I'm going to actually take a moment to plug a non-West Ham website. Uh, a good friend of mine is running a new Arsenal website called the Arsenal oh, it's Web <laughs> ArsenalNewsService.com. <laughs> so, Steve, if you want to check it out, it's a new one. It's what we've done with ClarenceHugh.info, which is a, a West Ham news service. It's the same format. Uh, a seasoned journalist is behind it, and it's called ArsenalNewsService.com. Um, and, yeah, for all your Arsenal news. Uh, but as normal, getting back, normal services resumed. West Ham, um, if you like West Ham, then we've got a podcast called More Than Just a Podcast, as in Bobby Moore, M-O-O-R-E. And uh, we, we're, we're sending out a new more stuff on Clarence Hugh, which is a, a West Ham news service, and on a blog uh, westhamtillidie.com and I think that's enough for me plugging in one podcast cheers guys yeah thanks very much for listening um, arsenalnews.com visit that um, quick uh, second plug arsenal for, for news Sean. service 
Oh, sorry, Arsenal News Service. I shall check that out. Um, also, I should say that um, I, I went more in-depth tactically than I usually do in this because I knew what we were going to be talking about. Um, and most of what I get in terms of Arsenal facts, figures and stats do come from Ars blog. So while we're, uh, while we're plugging other services, I can't take credit for, for some of the information that I may have uh, come out with tonight. Um, as for myself, at FindPubSport on Twitter or FindPubSport.com, uh, bookmark it, check it out for when you uh, um, need to know where to watch a live game. Um, and you can also find a few of the uh, EPL alumni uh, contributing on there, not least of which is on our podcast, which I think Jay's on this week, uh, later on this week. Is that right, Jay? Yes, it is. Sorry. <laughs> there he is. Uh, yeah, cool. So uh, see you then, hopefully. And thanks again for listening. Yeah, uh, if you want to tweet me about how I, whatever, I'm like an Arsenal lover or uh, all Tottenham fans are scumbags for breaking a bathroom in the UK when I live in the States, you can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. Uh, you can find my writings over at blog.playtaga.com and at theeaglesbeak.com where I have a weekly fantasy article that will not happen this week uh, because it is the international break. I will not promote an Arsenal news service, um, which is Sean has suggested. Uh, unless you're an Arsenal fan, in which case, you know, go on. But uh, we will be doing an FPL roundtable on Wednesday. We'll be up Thursday morning. We will not be doing a Thursday recording of the EPL roundtable. The next one of these we will record on Sunday and we'll be out Monday. Uh, so just a heads up on that again because of the international break. One, one quick question, Kev. Yeah. Who should we replace in our fantasy league? I know this is not a fantasy league podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Who should we replace Payet with? Ozil or Mata? Ozil. It's not close. I, I literally really? can't because I'm in leagues that ban uh, Arsenal players and I will get kicked out of them. So next year <laughs> I will have a professional team and a personal team, which was a kind of foresight that I lacked. Um, but yeah, I think you have to go with Utsal. Again, the, the, it's not the assists that you're paying for because you don't want to chase assists. It's all those chances created. And I know I just spent an hour telling you how Giroud's awful. But, <laughs> but there are too many chances coming in. For him you're going to get so them. much stick for this, Kev. You know, you just walk right into my trap. I can, I, can I chip in as well on that, yeah. um, Sean, actually? Because um, I took Pai out of my team early this evening, having heard the news. Um, and if you're looking for someone in a similar price point, because Ozil's a bit more expensive, I went for Tadic. Yes, but Mane's also available at a similar... Um, similar. Yeah. So Mane is frustrating, and weirdly, Tadic has like infinitely more crosses sent in than Mane this year. For some reason, Mane is just not sending the crosses in, which is why I rate Tadic more highly and, like you mentioned, cheaper price point. So, <laughs> Sean luring out the fantasy advice at the death here. Uh, but thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.